Podcasts aren't the future of radio. They're the present. You are about to listen to a ministry-approved podcast. For more great audio entertainment, visit ministryofpodcasts.com. And now, your feature presentation. Back for another week of books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. I'm Paul the Book Guy. And to my left, we have Greg Ott. And to my right is Chris Jager. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing well, Paul. How's Chris? I'm excellent, Paul. Good to be back with you, Greg. Nice to see you again. It's good to be here. We're back again. Episode six. Who knew um, we made it all the way to six? Top of Book Mountain for the sixth episode. I almost didn't make it today. It's a long trek up it's here, a, you know? It's a, long, it, it's a long trip. It is a, a long trek to the top of Book Mountain. Now, now last week, Chris, you brought up the Bulwer-Lytton Fiction Contest. Yes, that was a lot of fun. That was fun. <laughs> I, I got an interesting story about that. The, the winner of that, Sue Fondry of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You didn't find her, did you? I, I tried my best to find her, and, and that's actually part of the story. What happens when you type in, and I was using my iPhone to send out the emails and, and do the searches. When you type in Sue Fondry into your iPhone, it auto-corrects as fondue. <laughs> oh, okay. I so that Sue was, Fondue didn't get back to you. I thought that was appropriate for all the cheese in the bowl we're letting contest. That was a pretty smarmy line, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, and I, I did find that there's, there's, there are collections for each year's Bulwer-Lytton contest, and they're made into books. Oh, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to grab a couple copy of those, and we'll talk about them in the future, and maybe uh, sort through that for some gems. Select some more highlights, because we yes, we're definitely good for a laugh. Maybe we, we could do the, bring, like, the Bulwer-Lytton of the week. Yeah, we could bring one up every week. I could easily, even from last year's winners, I mean, there were lists and lists from like science fiction, fantasy, crime. I mean, there were a pile of good ones just in last year's So why don't winner. we do that? We'll make it a weekly uh, a pick. All right. We could Excellent. do one of these days if we were going to have a contest. We could have our our uh, listeners submit their own. We could. We have a lot of authors who are listening. I'll apparently, st- I'll stand to them up against Twitter my account. own. You know, I'll I'll pitch a few. Sure, let's do it. Mystery. We're gonna start off with a book called Blood and Groom by Jill Edmondson. It is the first in the Sasha Jackson mystery series. And here's the synopsis. Someone in Toronto has murdered nearly bankrupt art dealer Christine Arvise's groom-to-be. Former rock band singer and neophyte private investigator Sasha Jackson lands the case because she's all Christine can afford. The high society gal was jilted at the altar and she's the prime suspect, not to mention Sasha's first major client. Relying on wit, technology, luck, and a nerdy semi-stalker to help her clear the unlikable Christine, Sasha digs further into the muck only to discover high finance shenanigans, an unnerving pattern of slaughtered fiancés, and a growing list of brides that never were who might be killers. 
not to mention murky secrets among the city's blue bloods, including drug addiction, art forgery, and possible insider trading. In order to trap the murderer, Sasha enlists her ex-boyfriend and former bandmate to pose as her fiancé. But will her ruse make her ex the next victim on the hit list and lead to her own untimely demise? Now, this is the first uh, book in the Sasha Jackson series of novels. Someone in the city of Toronto is murdered, an alt- art dealer's husband-to-be, and it's up to Sasha to figure out who it is. Now, uh, guys, she's an interesting character. To call her hip would be a, a huge understatement. She's a, a private detective. She's also a drummer in a rock and roll band. And to call her broke would uh, at times be correct as well, because when times are tough, she falls back to her, her job talking dirty as a part-time sex line operator. So this is an interesting character. She's not averse to breaking the law either when, uh, when it's time to get the information she needs. Uh, she's the kind of person you want to just sit down for five, ten minutes in a bar and have a drink with just to find out what they did that week because they have such an interesting lifestyle and, and variety of interests. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought that she was relatable. I, I also, on a personal note, because it happened in Toronto, there was, it was, I was able to relate to the locations and there were parts in the book that just made me roar out loud laughing. It, it was, she, it was she had witty some as good, well. good lines in the book. I'm not going to spoil them, but uh, uh, you're right. The, the Toronto, fantastic. Uh, a lot of uh, local spots are talked about. She does a great job showcasing the city. Uh, she has a lot of knowledge of various locations, but you don't need to be a Torontonian to, to appreciate it. She uses Sasha's inner monologue to uh, establish the scene pretty quickly. And regardless of whether or not you're, you're a Torontonian, you get where you're at and All right. what's happening. In the, in the pantheon of private detectives, I mean, there's, there's Lowe's. On the, on the Magnum P.I., Simon & Simon, uh, Philip Marlowe scale, uh, where are we? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to so, say, I, I keep going back to this crutch answer. Different. Different. <laughs> Good. Somewhere in the, in the maybe the heart-to-heart sort of thing. Ah, the, heart-to-heart. Yeah. Good call. Good reference. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, if, uh, she's a strong female character. She's an interesting character. Uh, the book is, it's a short book. It's a very fast paced. Things just go really quickly. Uh, it's a fun read. I can't wait to see what other kind of trouble, uh, Toronto's sexiest okay. new detective can get into in her second book. Pacing's good. Uh, characters are excellent. We, we come back to this often, right? That, uh, it's gotta be character driven, but right. we are in, you know, genre fiction with the detectives. Does the, I, I, obviously I haven't read this one, so I'm looking for you guys, you know, to, to pitch me on this. Does this come down to the last page or, I mean, predictability is the death of a, of a good detective novel. How, how does, how does Jill do here? It, it takes a while to get to the, to the point, uh, to, to the, yeah, the solution uh, to of the, the crime. Last, yeah. To the last I, page. Maybe not the last page. Uh, there is a little bit of, a, of an epilogue, but uh, okay. definitely. I didn't, I didn't get it too early. Satisfying who done it then. It was satisfying. Yeah, satisfying not, who done it. And uh, the no second book in the series is Dead Light District, and we, we're going to Talk about that later in the show with uh, Jill Edmondson, because the author herself. Jill Edmondson will be our guest. She'll be today. joining us later. Stay tuned, constant readers. I got a book, uh, Nassim Taleb. Uh, it's called The Black Swan. Um, it's nonfiction. In fact, it's um, it seems like a completely dry topic: uh, economics and the markets. Uh, the Black Swan. So, for say a few hundred years no one could conceive of anything except a white swan. There was nothing in anyone's knowledge of white swans, so no one ever considered that there would be a black swan. And then suddenly, uh, Australia is explored, and they discover black swans. So suddenly, oh, well, of course there's black swans. And then there's an 
immediately a rationale that explains, you know, where did the black swan come from? So this is a metaphor for the impact of the highly improbable on, I mean, his is an economic argument, but on all of history in general. It's a, okay. a fascinating book so far. I'm about halfway through it, but uh, the, the main point of the discussion is we make up the explanation of things in retrospect after they happen. But what actually drives our lives forward and what actually drives history forward and drives markets forward, what drives the economies forward is unforeseen events like 9-11, like tsunamis, like uh, catastrophic drops in the market. These things come out of nowhere and we only pretend after they happened that we understood where they were coming from. Or right. that they were predictable. That they were predictable. Right. So the book um, wants us to reconcile ourselves to the fact that we... Our, stand, our models of standard deviation, um, our models of predictability are really based on a lot of fiction. So it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, the guy now, actually- Is this one you're gonna bring to the table? I'm gonna bring point? to the table later. Beauty, um, beauty. I got, a, I got a bit more, I mean, this guy actually puts his stuff into practice. What he does is he, he builds um, portfolios uh, that lose money very slowly over the short term, but gain money when catastrophes happen. Fascinating, huh? <laughs> I'm riveted. I'm riveted. That's all I got to say. But I can bring that back to the table in uh, another couple of weeks. Now, we're going to get to the conversation that we've been alluding to for a while, which is uh, different ways of reading books and uh, times and places as consuming to... Consuming books. Consuming them. What are your and habits? Now, I know that Greg and I, and we're going to pose you the same question, we don't have as much time to sit and read a book, you know, with a little light on and, uh, you know, a, a rye at the side and feet up. But we have more time to consume books by listening to them so I can be active and doing something and still uh, get uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand done in a week. Whereas you, how, many hours, there, how many hours was Atlas Shrugged? I believe that one was close to 40. Was it, yeah. So are you living? This is my question to you because I'm the one who does not apply to this audiobook business. I gave it a fair try, man. I mean, you invite me to be a co-host here. and I'm like, yep, I'm in. I got to try this. I got to do it. And I'm driving back and forth to Algonquin, and I've got an audio book in, and I right. just, personally, it helps me uh, to keep the flow of the story and to keep the narration together. I, I found out that I do a visual association, for example, with yes. names and places. I lose track of characters when I'm listening. Now, I, I would admit that it would be a discipline, right? If you'd gotten used to it, you'd be able to... Right you'd be able to follow it more easily. Now, I mean, Greg, I mean, you've talked about how you listen to it at two-thirds speed or, or, or three listen, times okay, speed. Okay, so what I do is, is because my commute in the morning is not particularly long, uh, I listen to audiobooks consistently on my iPhone in the car, um, but my, my commute's only 20 minutes. So that's, that's not that long. So you get an hour of a book. Do you listen at three times speed or two times no, speed? No, I listen at speed and a half. Speed and a half. I, I listen at speed. So you get and a half. half an hour in in that twenty minutes. I get yeah, roughly. I think it. I think it averages out. Yeah. I, I think the compression model is based on how much space the narrator puts in between their words. Right. But um, yeah, technical it, aspects aside, it, you get used to it. I know Paul and I have discussed this before, and he says it's like listening to the chipmunks. And and all I gotta say is, yeah, initially it's it's difficult, but you now, get now used you, to you it. You mentioned that the the compression is better on the Audible app. Rather than the iTunes app, I found when listening to spoken word with, say, for instance, podcasts using the iTunes app, um, it was choppier. We're going to have to do a comparison, and I'm going to explain explain to the constant readers how this works. 
when an uh, audiobook narrator speaks the word bagel, that word in the computer's memory is chopped up into a certain amount of pieces. Then every second piece is removed. The, w the word is pushed back together. So if every second piece is removed, it's two times speed. But uh, the quality comes from uh, if the word is chopped up into six million pieces and every second piece is removed, you get a better quality, less chipmunk sounding. You get a smoother pronunciation. You get a smoother, right. So uh, uh, we're going to have to do a comparison of the Audible app's compression and iTunes. I think we're going to have to get to the same audiobook and, and really do some hard-nosed investigation well, let, here. I, I let think me see the Audible. I think the Audible app places emphasis on taking out spaces in between words as well. So it takes more, ah, more, so more, more of the spaces between the words than it would actually take so out the pauses, pieces right. of the word, of, of the consonants. Right. And the, so that's what I do for my Audible. As far as reading, you know, uh, actual, actual uh, pulp, uh, because I have the two kids, I don't get into reading so much until, you know, after they're in bed and after I've, you know, I've spent some time right. with the wife. Yes. So. My time is my own, so I'm lucky enough to be able to put up my feet and you know crack open a book. But you have to admit, Chris, that there's one spot where you can't be reading a book, and and for uh, that, that I have in the car. Hey, hey, for that I have no, no, okay, in the car. And if readers, if you go to paulthebookguy.com and go to the search bar and search for "This is why audiobooks were invented," uh, we've posted a YouTube video of a guy reading a hardcover novel at 75 miles an hour on the freeway. Not recommended. We do not okay, endorse I this can't, activity. I can't chop up, though, uh, my consumption of a book into 20-minute segments, segments in the car. Right. Uh, like you, I, you do longer to, sessions. To come, to come back to the compression business, I mean, I'm a podcast listener. I mean, our own as well as a few others. Yes. And uh, I've, at times, just, you know, to accelerate through an iTunes podcast, they'll play it for you at 1.5 times. Uh, that's annoying. So... You two have been suggesting that the Audible compression is actually far better than the iTunes compression. Right? I, I've been suggesting that Paul, it, like I said, Paul can't listen at one and a half. He now, thinks it's and when, and when you mentioned that, Greg, I actually timed myself at home. These are things I do. This is what the book I does. No life. So I timed myself reading uh, the James uh, De Jeffrey Deaver novel. Okay. You read the Jeffrey Deaver novel, yes. I, 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 I read. Bond, I, I actually I flipped between. The heart, because the, the chapters were identif identified in the uh, audiobook, right. I was able to flip back and forth whenever I had time or the ability to do either one. And I timed myself, and I was literally reading at like two and a half speed yep. in the equivalent of the audio. But I could not put up with the two and a half speed sound, and I was listening through iTunes, through two, two and the and a half iPod or one and app. Half. You're saying two and a half. I was reading at two and a half times. But you couldn't listen at one and a half. Right. Yeah, I, I will concede that I can read a lot faster than I can listen. And, and that's the other thing, too, is that Paul, I know that Paul listens to a lot of books while he's here at work, right? And you can do that because you're listening at regular speed. Right. At one and a half, you actually have to concentrate. You you're have, right. You, yes. you do have to yes. listen so to You'd have guy. to be like sitting. It's and going to take away from whatever you're, what else you're doing because you've dedicated right. I cannot do it while I'm doing any of the other work. Right. So you might as well sit down. And, I mean, I'm I'm a big proponent of the of the ebook. Uh, I, I I appreciate uh, the paperbacks, but man, I've this is my preferred method now. I have an iPod and so I will, books under glass. I, I love books them under too. glass. And boy, it, it's uh, I mean, I read you know Count of Monte Cristo not so long ago. I mean, that's a that's a doorstopper, and uh, it's it's in the palm of my hand, and uh, I just fire it up you know wherever I happen to be. Now, now I use an, uh, an iPad. 
my only qualm with the iPad is that the resolution on the screen is 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 good for everything else I use it for to watch movies and whatever. But when it comes to books, it's very straining on the eye. Wow, so, I've got an iPod four, so I've got the uh, the red the, the Retina display, display on my display. iPhone. I'd rather read on my iPhone than on my iPad the because of the resolution. Is excellent, it's, it's gorgeous. Excellent. Yeah. And now this rumor that the iPad three is going to have four times the uh, resolution. That's when I'll jump to so upgrade my iPad. It's a good thing I held out. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, what do uh, you got? No, I was going to say, I, I, I'm doing my books under glass on a Kobo, and uh, yes. I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Now, the, the hey, one thing I want to uh, just pardon say... Pardon me, Greg. Is the Kobo a... Uh, uh, it's an older Kobo. It's, so is, it, is, is it a rear... Is it a... This is the, the display is high contrast, or is it... Um, the display, the display on the Kobo is uh, is an e-ink display. It's e -ink. Okay, e-ink. There we it's go. It's e-ink. So yeah. it's very low battery consumption. Yeah, but the contrast 32 is perfect. shades of gray. Oh, the contrast is perfect. I mean, for for pulpit, it's fantastic. I have to I have to concede that the uh, the outdoor use of the iPod Touch is just it's not. It's right. It's wonderful. I can take it to the beach. I can do whatever I want, and there's no glare. There's no there's no worries about it. And I I thought about the reason I got that is because I started using the Kobo app on the on my iPhone. On the iPhone. They, now something just news about that is they just. Apple just took the the ability to purchase books out of the Kobo app. You don't have to go to the Kobo website, log yeah. in there, and then. So that, that's kind of a bummer. I want to know. I want to know what our listeners are doing. Yeah, yeah. tell us. Let us know. Uh, uh, follow Ray us on Twitter. Paul the book guy, Chris the book guy, Greg the book guy. Uh, we do respond when you ask us questions. Uh, Chris the book guy at Gmail. Paul the book guy at Gmail. Greg the book guy at Gmail. I mean, I would. It's so easy. Is it is it books? Are you are you a hardcore paper uh, reader? Are, are you getting uh, with the books under glass? Is it an iPad for you? Uh, are you a book listener? I want to hear people at one point five speed, please. <laughs> <laughs> so send us your comments, folks. And uh, last week, uh, uh, Chris, you said that you wanted to have that chat about Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. I can't at do some it. point, at some point, I have to um, dedicate a, a well. Week we we to, have uh, a we have a fourth person who's going to join us for that conversation. Uh, oh, Scott Brick. Are we putting a timeline? The line audiobook on this? narrator who narrated this this audiobook mountain. We have the narrator of Ayn Rand. We're going to have him on when we chat about uh, Atlas Shrugged. We're just going to arrange a what's the deadline? An interview with him. I believe he's uh, some. It's going to be sometime in September when he comes on. We'll, we'll do that. Let's and, do it. Uh, I'll, He's going to tell uh, us about this epic reading because it must have taken him weeks. And this week, we also have a podcast about movies uh, that Greg has brought to the table. And uh, what's that, Greg? I would like to submit for Ministry of Podcast Approval the podcast Film Sack from Frog Pants Studios. So you're, you're going to stamp your Ministry of Podcasts I'm taking, ring into the wax on this one? That's right. I am taking my Ministry of Podcasts seal of approval and placing it on Film Sack. Did I not get my secret decoder ring in the mail yet? <laughs> you mother. We'll get to the ring soon. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Film Sack is hosted by Scott Johnson. He's a longtime uh, uh, yes. podcaster. And uh, he is, his co-hosts are Brian Dunaway, Randy Jordan, and uh, doo -doo -doo, Brian Ibbett. They, uh, they're all four of them are very good friends. And basically what they do is, uh, each week they announce for the next week, what movie they're going to be watching. Usually it's a cheesy film on Netflix. They've done, uh, films such as, I mean, great films such as the golden child. They live with Roddy Piper, <laughs> uh, Robocop, Flash Gordon, universal soldier. Clearly, Time. clearly they're moving through the pantheon of, uh, Oscar nominees. Right. But <laughs> what they do is they rip it apart. They have fun and they've got some, uh, some, uh, really good memes 
They've got a, a very good, um, they have camaraderie, and they work really well together. It is, a, it's hilarious. A, you got a clip for us? I have a clip. Uh, the reason that it works well is because you've got two kind of two guys who are quite funny. You've got Scott, who does a lot of research they about have a, it. They have a good rapport. On, they on, have very good rapport. Audio, yeah. They have the two guys who are really funny. They're all funny. But you have the two guys who are a little bit more witty. And then you have the, the other two guys who are really, really knowledgeable. Uh, together, the four of these guys make for a really good podcast. It's always fresh and entertaining. And they have a fifth voice. Uh, that's Scott Fletcher. He's got the golden voice. And what he has, he does is every uh, every episode, he brings in the, the uh, intro. Spot on. It's a fantastic podcast. I got to say, Greg, uh, you, we listened to a full episode of Film Sack today, and you, you did sell me on it. Now, I was a little, uh, I, at first, because the, the one that we listened to was about a movie that we've discussed on this podcast. What movie? Uh, I'm holding it, I'm holding uh, it back. No, 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 oh, we're holding it back. Holding we're it back. holding it back for the clip. But uh, at first, I, I was sitting there going, well, this can't be a recommendation. They're spoiling everything. And then, and then Greg pointed out, no, 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 no. They tell you the week before what you're going to listen. So, so it's it's an examination and a discussion it's on, your on the choice movie to watch the movie right. or not. But right. you know what's so, coming so, up next uh, week. Right. I'm just going to throw this in, Greg. Uh, you want to watch the movie? I'm saying that maybe you want to watch the movie before it, getting into the episode of. Film it helps Sack. to be familiar with the movie. I've I've listened to episodes, many episodes, where you know. First off, you're talking about Clash of the Titans. I saw that when I was eight. Right. Right. So. But they go into no real point in watching that again. There's no real point in watching it. But they do. They do go in and they research the mu- the music. The they research the, yeah. the science. Yeah, it did seem they come to the table well prepared with, with some interesting information. Yes. Right. Good fun finding out how the how the schmarminess evolved. Or the or the the uh, special effects with Ray Harryhausen, how he did that. They right. comment on that and they have fun with it. Right. And and like I said, these are usually ten fifteen year old uh, movies. There really shouldn't be that much spoiler to it. Like, it's it's not right, that right. disappointing gotcha. to find out that at the end Perseus uses Medusa's head to kill the Kraken. Oh, oh I should have. Oh. <laughs> so here's a clip. It's going to start off with uh, Scott Fletcher introducing the movie, and then we're they're going to introduce the the characters, the co-hosts, and then we're going to go on to a little bit of fun and hilarity should ensue. Hang on, trying to find the button. Up oh, there it is. Bubba Hotep. In this black comedy, Elvis Presley, played by Bruce Campbell, is an elderly resident in an East Texas rest home who switched identities with an impersonator years before his quote-unquote death and missed his chance to switch himself back when the king teams up with a fellow resident, played by Ozzie Davis, who thinks he's John F. Kennedy. The two old codgers prepare to battle an evil Egyptian entity that's chosen their long-term care facility as its happy hunting ground. My name is Scott Johnson, and uh, welcome yet again to another episode. I want to introduce who's with us this week. It might not surprise anyone. Three guys you know so well. Let's start with Brian Lubed Up Crankshaft Dunaway. Ah, uh, Pharaoh Gobbles Donkey Goobers. <laughs> Randy Peckergrowth Jordan. Dude, what are you doing? You got your muddled dark comedy about an elderly king of rock and roll in my cheap short film about a haunted rest home. And then finally, bringing up the rear, we have Brian Kimasabi Ibbett. You know, I was afraid I was not going to make it today. I've been crapping soul residue all day long. <laughs> so we follow these old guys in this rest home who um, pretty much figure out that, that uh, you know, an ancient Egyptian pharaoh has come back from the dead 
and is absorbing the souls of people that are there with them at the uh, at the. But place. how does he do that, Scott? Well, in various ways. Uh, the the most prominent way is he'll send in a bug first. Yeah. <laughs> and let a the scarab let the bug the... freak the lady out in her blanket. Yeah. Uh, he'll come in later and literally suck the life out of him. But how? With his lips. <laughs> With his well, nasty you know, you mouth. Suck the, you can suck the soul out of any major orifice of the body. Yeah. yeah. What else let you yes. use? What else let you figure out? I learned out? that from JFK, actually. <laughs> yes, I did, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Time for a mystery clip. This one's called, What Do I Care? I guess we'll find out the hard way. All right. You got bugs all over this place. Bugs. Well, well Mr. Hap, oh, what kind of bugs have you been seeing? Look, man, do I look like an ichthyologist to you? Big damn bugs, all right? The size of my fist, size of a peanut butter banana sandwich, man. What do I care? I got a growth in my picker. <laughs> That'd be my bit, my most favorite little actor skit in that movie. Man. The best it. little exchange between two actors was right yeah. there. That, you're right. I've totally forgot about the word ichthyologist. And you know, my favorite Elvis impersonator in the world is a guy named Trent Carlini. I, I, you I have a favorite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. How long is that list? <laughs> wow, all right. Uh, I can't wait to hear anyway, this. What was his name again? Trent Carlini. All right. I won first place in an Elvis uh, impersonator contest at a barbecue. Yeah. And uh, they you know, invited people to come up and do an Elvis impersonator uh, or impersonation. And I won strictly because I brought up one of their ribs on stage and started dancing while I was trying to eat it. And, uh, <laughs> I got a, I got a, a, a rhinestone-studded cape and a free barbecue for a year. Can you, nice. can you, but I'm asking you, I don't ask you much in this life, but I'm going to ask you now. I, I do have a photo. Will you send me, no, A, I want the photo. B, can you do, <laughs> can you do an Elvis voice like right now for us? Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I love it. Bubba Hotep. Bubba yeah. Hotep. Save that awesome. one for you. Thank you. Thank you. That was excellent. Don't mess with the king. I, I thought you'd appreciate that. No. <laughs> Don't mess with the king. Baby. Great movie. I just uh, put on uh, Twitter the uh, earworm of the week in honor of uh, Bubba Hotep. Uh, check the Twitter accounts, lads. I will. We follow will. us on Twitter. Please do. Chris the book guy, Greg the book guy, Paul the book guy, and you too can share in the earworm ear of the week. Yes. Now, I got to ask you, Greg, why was Scott calling his coho such awful names <laughs> okay well explain every, to us please every week every week he uh he associates uh aspects of the film and uh uses them to address his co-host disparage his co-host yeah so the lubed up crankshaft and the, and, the, well, and those are all references to bubba hope if you yeah, haven't watched so, it folks. so every week they would have they would have a different introduction and then the, in response the co-hosts co are i guess responsible for a witty come back uh, some sort of witty uh introduction of themselves the repartee it, it, it's phenomenal that these guys makes, are obviously that, friends that makes a podcast magical they're, they're friends and and i know that uh scott johnson frock pants studios uh it's not the only podcast they do he's got at least a dozen oh well podcasts. I mean, if you want to go into the history of of frock pants studios i am I am well-versed in it. He did well, start. you know who's even better well-versed in the history of Frock Pants Studios? Fellas mm. Paul. Scott Johnson himself, and he will be on next week's episode of Paul the Book Guy Show. I can't imagine having a constellation of podcasts. Just getting <laughs> this thing out once a week is a I can't, burden. We bow down to you, Wait. Mr. Scott Johnson. We it, bow down. It is now one of his occupations. For you, our listeners, we slave on top of Book Mountain. <laughs> That's right. 
We <laughs> Scott, kudos to you for putting together tw- 12, I believe it's 13 he has now, 13 podcasts. Well, he doesn't like ho- he doesn't host them all. He he you know, he, right. he doesn't make them all. He does have other like people. Like Sword and Laser, which I think I'm going to feature one of these days. I'd know? love what? to. Yeah. Let's let's and pick his brain uh, in a week and a half. Let's right? do it. Let's do it. Each each of these uh podcasters here have their own podcast on his network. So Brian right. Brian Ibbett has a, a podcast of his own. Uh, Brian Dunaway, uh, I think he, I think he still does. He used to, and then Randy used to, of course, be the co-host with, uh, with uh, Scott on the Instance, which is his most popular one. But of course, uh, due to contractual obligations with his current employer, he can no longer do that. Right. <laughs> and we will have Scott Johnson on next week, folks. So stay tuned to the Paula Book Guy Show. Coming up next, it's the Think Geek Item of the Week from. Now, Greg, I believe you have this week's Think Geek item of the week, which you can get just by going to paulthebookeye.com slash thinkgeek. This week's Think Geek item of the week is a book called and Exams. Whoa, whoa, easy. I know we have an explicit tag, but we don't want to, we don't no, want to swear. Hang on. Not effing exams. Oh. F in exams. Oh, as in, as in you fail. Fail an exam. You gotcha, has gotcha. failed. That now, sounds this is, interesting. On a side note, I think we should be making more use of our explicit tag, but maybe that's just me. Car- I, I'm sorry. I, carry know, on, Greg. Un- unnecessary explanation. <laughs> really not, not our thing. All right. So um, what we've got is uh, a book. Basically, this is an accumulation of exams from kids who have basically not prepared. And you've got right. exam questions. The kids just decide to write down some crap. I'll give you some examples. And hopefully right. you find Throw it at us. All right. So the question See what is, sticks. this stuff is a riot. Uh, yeah. What is the what is the highest frequency noise that a human can register? Answer, of course. Brrr. Brrr. Mariah Carey. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. I'm putting my money on Mariah Carey. <laughs> uh, state two major world religions. Uh, of course, one, the Force, and two, football. <laughs> nice. So th- there's a lot of there's a lot of sight gags uh, as well. Um, what happens to a boy when he reaches puberty? No idea. He says goodbye to childhood and enters adultery. <laughs> oh, nice. So this is a collection of actual actual exam questions. Exam questions and crazy that achieved failing marks. Well, these would be, I would hope that these would be zeros. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, it sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. It reminds me of that uh, other book. Emails from an asshole. I, I I'll believe that. that. But uh, I still love that's the that title email. of the book, folks. We're yeah. not gonna, you know. It, it reminds me of that collection. We should touch on that book. Maybe next week we'll talk about emails from an asshole. Have you read the book? I've I've read his website. I've read I've, his website. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to order three copies for us, and then we can really get into it. I hope there's not a lot of repetition because I've read most of his website. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's a you know what that sounds interesting. Maybe we'll, I'm going to order that Think Geek item as well. And uh, it's a great way to support the show. Go to paulthebookguy.com slash thinkgeek, and we have a list of all the items we've ever discussed on the show. It's the Think Geek item of the week, but could it be the bathroom Bible? It, you know what? I believe oh, it all it is. Oh. Think of that. That is a good point. It is a... Your very own... Bathroom Bible. And that was this week's... The Think Geek item of the week. From ThinkGeek.com. Hi, this is Scott Brick, audiobook narrator and harbinger of worldwide audiobook domination. 
and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Okay, so as you guys know, I read the, or I finished The Girl Who Played With Fire. This is the second book in the Stieg Larsson Millennium series. Tell me, Greg, was it better than the first book? Much. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to hear that because I was ready to let this trilogy go, but it's it's really better, eh? I'm glad I stuck with it. It uh, The second one starts off well, it starts off with a bang uh, really fast. No, it, and there's yeah, a, there's in more direct of a, contrast to the first book, which y- took absolutely, ages yeah, to get going. Absolutely, yeah, ages to get going. Uh, you start off with the main characters right out of the gate. There's a very good ebb and flow to this. It's got good, great pacing. I enjoyed it a lot. I don't want to give up the the story, and I will tell the only thing I will say that can we get a synopsis of the second book? The second book is basically a, there's a triple murder, and and the main character Elizabeth Salander is uh, being sought by the police in conjunction with these murders, and then she disappears. But in typical Elizabeth Salander fashion, she's not out of the picture. So Elizabeth Salander was the big question at the end of the first book, and her story continues in the second book. Right. No, it keeps on with Elizabeth, and uh, you find out a lot more about her background. It Does is, it still uh, take place in a snow-filled uh, or ass-filled snow cave? Snow-filled ass cave, Paul. The snow-filled ass cave. I, I, I gotta be <laughs> honest with you. I, I, like I said in the first book, I was just waiting for an actual cave location. <laughs> But there, this is this does this takes place for the most part in Sto- in um, Stockholm, Sweden. And this is my only gripe about the book. Now, this is one that I read on paper, and if you would indulge me, I do have a passage that maybe uh, if I read this, a personal you might, reading, you might be able to guess what my gripe, what my only gripe with this book is. And I'm going to read from you, uh, read to you from page three ninety nine, Penguin Canada paperback. He made an illegal turn past the bus shelter onto. Helen's Borgenstaten just before Vasterbron, and then drove down Hogan Linsengarten to Ludgarten. No, he could be he, anywhere in the world. He could be anywhere in the world. He, was you know one what? of those a portal to a uh, like evil dimension? I or? think he was. I think he no, was just it's uh, a national navi- monument. He was navigating inside an IKEA. I think he was, and then a bus shelter. Yeah, I think I have one of those bookcases. Like he was. He was. Uh, <laughs> I think at some point in time he was assaulted by a bookcase. Um, so the uh, the the travel was the tra- there's a lot of travel inside of the city. The the author makes a lot of references to neighborhoods, streets, uh, parks, and that type of thing. So if you don't that, have Google Maps up and running, yeah, it, there were points in time where I want I thought you know it would make sense for me to have a little notepad so I can kind of scribble down and understand because they he he does go back and, and refer to them and you're like oh where was that place Lingen's Thorntongatten or Lingen's Dittengatten. So, so, so this is the opposite of Jill Edmondson's novels about Sasha Jackson, where she says, uh, you know, I'm just pulling names out of my head, but uh, we went to church, and then right. she explains what Church Street is, or we went to the Alma Combo, and that's and she explains right. what it is. I don't so he doesn't explain, he just says, we're going to Fruflinflukengarden. He doesn't say and north, doesn't know, south. Uh, the, the, I couldn't tell if it, you the, were saying if it was a city, a street, or a neighborhood, or a bar. Right, and I don't know. These could be regions. Okay. He doesn't say. He doesn't say whether this is a a good part of town, a bad part of town. Let's, let's not a, make too much of it. But he lost you in the he, in the geography. Again, right. this is yes. the, this is this is similar to an audiobook where they do mispronunciation. It, again, <laughs> it, it, no, it took me. It took me out. Uh, you know what? Uh, just just this I, much. I, I get you it. mentioned I get that it. last week, uh, and and I, I was listening to uh, the Game of Thrones uh, Clash of Kings, and the reader. Uh, pronounces Baratheon, Borathian, and Whoa. immediately it clicked in my head exactly what what you guys what, what Greg said. It pulls you out. It 
definitely pulls you out of the story because I'm thinking Baratheon, Baratheon, Baratheon. Then he says, and then Borathean. Who's Borathean? Oh, come on, Paul. No. You're splitting hairs there. That's like, I know. That's but a it's still, of but, it's, but it's the thing that, that knocks you out. It's the thing that you have you something burned into your brain, and then something else is trying to take up that space. So read your own books, and then you don't get picked <laughs> out by the audio. Yes. Just watching the television. Listen to the voices in your head, boys. Listen to the voices in your head. <laughs> so what did you think of the book? It was good? I, I enjoyed uh, it. I'm, are you going to move on to the thir- uh, third? You have to. Oh, 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 yeah. It oh. ends It ends in mostly... Cliffhanger and cliff, the third book? It concludes somewhat. And then goes okay. on. It obviously oh. goes oh, on. Oh, man. I'd, I'd resign to, to leave this at the first book. But. There, there is a conclusion and then an mm. obvious progression again. It, right. book, book Mountain is steep and sheer. So now, now, all I these novels were, were, were published posthumously. Uh, right. Stieg Larsson passed away before the first one was published. You can't blame him. He might have edited it so that that cliffhanger wasn't there. So well, let's let's ease off on Stieg. Stieg was uh, Stieg submitted these and then he passed away roughly. Um, well, he was he he passed away prior to them being published of a heart attack, and uh, it ju- actually just came out this week that there was a rumor that there was a book fourth. news. You have book, some book okay, news for us. Book news. All right. So, in related news, there is always been this rumor that there was a fourth book now the fourth book is is sort of ha- the, it's a the half mysterious truth. the mysterious laptop that his uh ex-wife ex-girlfriend had ex-girlfriend now here's there's there's a little bit more news let's just do a little bit of Stieg larson okay so Stieg larson was uh was also an, a um a political commentator absolutely and he was a not scholar pop- even he was not popular with some people and he was getting death threats there's a long the, uh, the right wing factions in Europe were not uh, very uh, friendly to Stieg Larsson. You're up on your Larsson. This is perfect. I, I feel we can relate on this story. We're connecting, yes. <laughs> All right, so I watched the movie. <laughs> Wait for the Stieg Larsson movie. All right. So what happens is they have a law in Sweden that says that if you're going to get married, you have to disclose your address. And Stieg Larsson, because he was getting death threats from these political parties, these political fanatics, he did not want to put subject his girlfriend or his fiance or future wife to that type of danger. That kind so of threat, sure. He, he just did not get married. He passes away. The books get published. His estate becomes worth Cha-ching. bajillions to... Are we talking Harry Potter-esque? I think so. No, not quite uh, yet. No, 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 no nowhere near that. Not, yeah, yeah, they've only got one movie in the can so far. Two, Come well, two on, if you count those. Enough to buy a yacht, but yep. not a yacht that poops other yachts. Okay, fair enough. Right. He's a very small gold-plated <laughs> shark tank. So yes, the estate becomes the estate balloons becomes rich, and of course the who has who has the to... rights to the throne. Well, it's being disputed because in Swedish law, his father and his brother Swedish law, right? Swedish law, despite how long he was dating this particular lady no formal relationship no. so now, so. now depending on how, how successful this series is you never know that that incomplete fourth book whether it's 50 pages hey, or wait we don't a have napkin. the news so the, so the what's the news the, so the news is that uh, basically his girlfriend came out and said yes there is about 200 pages complete and what happened was larson wrote in uh he wrote scenes 200 pages he, 200 pages but he wrote scenes so there's no there's no real That's like an nothing, intro there's nothing right. that could be constituted as a book. As a there's, book. No, yeah. there's no connectivity to Nothing. it yet. Yeah. So there's no way that they'd be able to put this into a fourth book. Uh, but, Until we throw a ghost writer Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. 
Uh, like, I mean, Clive Cussler is going to probably put out another five books, and, and he's been dead a, lo- a long time. Um, <laughs> I, I can see it. If they make enough money on the, the first three, that maybe at some point Somebody they're going to want the yacht that poops out other yachts an upgrade and you never know they uh, might it's, it's sell question, out and it's a question of ownership at this point who's going to actually claim the 200 pages it, it, it yeah it just it depends on how they, they should leave generous it as a they should leave it as a trilogy yes. and leave the estate in intact the way it is it's well we, great. we like it the way it is we'll look for your word on that after you've read the third book i am on to the third book and you've, you're tempting me to get to uh, not only read the first, but now the second. I'm drawing a line. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I read the first book, and I'm gonna unless you come back with a third book that says I, I okay. Jury's want, out. I might you, come back to it. I'll wait for your third book review. If you want to know more that? about Elizabeth Salander, which you found out very little about in the first book, absolutely, you, you have must, to read the second. Oh, you find is. out all there about her in all the right. second. That's that's our that's our drop. That's our that's our promo for the book right there. There you go. Kids books. Constant readers, I'd like to bring to your attention one of my favorite authors and by far my favorite book. I can't do it. Greg is uh, is passing his review over to me. Uh, this is his favorite book, author Robert Munch. Uh, and the book is... Greg? Love you forever. Author Robert Munch was born in Pittsburgh, and he has a, a BA in history from Boston College and a master's in anthropology. He's also a master of education from Tufts University. He moved to Guelph, Ontario from 1975 to work at the University of Guelph and taught and lectured in the Department of Family Studies. He's a beloved Canadian Ontario Guelph children's author. We all know him well. Yes. And Greg, a father of two young children, of course, is, is one of his favorites. I've read this to both my daughters, Rebecca and Ava. And I continue to do so as often as I can get it out. Robert Munch was a hit with kids and known for his outlandish storytelling style, which included hilariously exaggerated faces and stories that frequently involved silly phrases or sounds that the audience would be encouraged to shout back, which they always did with glee. He was encouraged to publish as many stories that he had made up for his children that he had worked with. Uh, Munch published The Mud Puddle and The Dark in 1979, but received his first acclaim for 1980's The Paper Bag Princess, the story of a princess who outwits a dragon to save her fiancé and then realizes the prince is not appreciative of her and leaves him anyways. Uh, the story I wish to share with you today is by far my favorite Munch book, and Greg, of course, his favorite book. It was released in 1996 and is a tragic and heartfelt departure from his lighthearted hearted I've read this book, Greg. I would not call it tragic at all. It is certainly heartfelt. Very heartfelt. It has no loud, repeatable verses and would be highly inappropriate to read to a large group of kids at a campfire. Uh, he departed from his longtime visual collaborator, Mark, Michael Marchenko, and had Sheila McGraw illustrate the story. So the, the story is uniquely drawn. Uh, the story details a mother's love for her son and the circle of life as she repeats the lovely lullaby time and again to her son, no matter his age. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The words and the pictures are very well matched, and in particular the second last panel where the son stands with his back to the reader, slightly hunched up at the top of the stairs, frozen with contemplation of his entry into his own child's nursery, realizing the circle is now complete in the finality of the recent events. 
Uh, the scene makes Greg's eyes hot with tears, no matter what sort of mental preparation he's given himself. I got to tell you, Costa Rica's Greg's tearing up in the studio right now, and I got to tell you, I'm on a, the edge of myself. It's a beautiful story. It's a story. wonderful book. It's a wonderful and, book. And well illustrated, and yes. Parents, please read this book to your if children. If you're a parent, you definitely want to buy this book and, and read it to your children. So none of us here at Book Mountain can really recommend this book strongly enough. You can get it uh as an audio download for free, but we really recommend you get the paper copy and sit with your kids and read it to them over and over and over again. We're all Absolutely. tearing up We're here. We're all tearing up here. We're all tearing up in the studio <laughs> right. now. I'm there. sorry I did this there. to you guys. We did it. We're done. Uh, um, <laughs> just some more, uh, just a, another couple, couple quick points about this. Uh, if you go and you get the audio, he actually does sing this uh, to you. Narrates and sings I heard himself. it Narrates started off as a song. It started off as a song. You're going to get me here. Started off as a song that he sang to his uh, two babies who were both, both born dead. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Way to drop the hammer on us there, Greg. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, so there you go. Okay, regardless, it is a wonderful story to read to your children. Parents, please. Check it out. Love you forever. My favorite book of all time. Robert Munch. Comic books, comic books, comic books. This week it was announced that Lawrence Fishburne, the star of CSI and uh, famous for his role as Morpheus in The Matrix, is going to be joining Henry Cavill and Amy Adams and Kevin Costner in the reboot of Superman, Man of Steel. Kevin Costner? Yeah. But now, you didn't ask me what role Lawrence Fishburne is going to be playing. Greg, what role is Lawrence Fishburne going up. to play? Thank you very much. He's going to be playing Perry White. Yeah, I can see Lawrence uh, Lawrence Fishburne playing Perry White more than it would be uh, playing uh, the guy from the Daily Bugle. What's his name? All right, J. J. Jonah Jameson. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, so fine. I haven't read a Superman comic probably ever. Who's Perry White? Perry White would be the he's he, the editor in chief, editor of, the chief of the Daily, Daily Planet. Bugle, Daily Planet. I thought that was J. Jonah Jameson. Is not Spider Man. No, he's That's Spider Man. Now, now, see, this is why I was saying. If it was Jade Jonah Jameson, who's very xenophobic and uh, and racist, that wouldn't make sense. But uh, playing Perry White, it might go over well. Why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to have, uh, you know, why do we have to change the races? When, it, when Who's the dude in, in uh, Thor? Right, and, yeah. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't need a black Norse god either. I, right. You're right. He did a good job. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not certain how many black norse gods there were and you have no idea how well this ties into my next comic book story you have comic book news as well i do ultimate spider-man series which takes place in the marvel ultimate universe peter parker has died a couple of uh, episodes ago a couple of issues ago and somewhere ago isn't spider-man dead spider-man the original spider-man is dead and uh someone takes his place and his name is miles morales Miles Morales is half black, half Hispanic. You know what Miles uh, sounds like to me? The kid mm. who doesn't run fast enough or hit the ball hard enough. <laughs> mm. But Miles Morales, uh, Marvel has even said that he is, uh, he's young enough, he's a teenager, he's just discovering his sexuality. He may, in fact, also be gay in, in future episodes. He may discover that he's gay. Now, now here, here's where I say, is there a place for a gay, half black, half Spanish superhero? Absolutely. Is that place Spider-Man? Why does it have I to be, think not. Why does it have to be our Spider-Man? Right. I mean, if you, you... And it's one of the top properties at Marvel. Well, why not Spider-Man? 
it's it's a it's a hero that's been around for for dozens and dozens of years why would you make this drastic departure other than obviously for you know uh, the obvious reason which makes the guys at paul the book guy chris greg and paul talk about it this is the obvious you know headline grabbing ideas why they're doing it it'll last 10 issues they, and then they throw it away are they trying to relate to young hispanic boys who are uh, reading comics absolutely. i think you've I've, i think you've hit the crux of the issue Greg. absolutely they are fishing how for, they for demographics. Is, so they're fish, they fishing for comics. demographics. Yes, Absolutely. Exactly. What I'm saying is, is there room for, for that kind of hero? Yes, there is. Make it. Take the time and, and, and have someone write this hero. Don't do it the easy way by just sticking it into Spider-Man. See, I'm going to say reluctantly that, you know, I think they have tried that in the past and they just have never been able to come up with a, a comic book character that's stuck with that demographic. And do you guys remember Black Panther? Black Panther, yes. you know, the, the African uh, president of, of a small African nation. Yeah. Great. There you go. You know, uh, and I think this is just sheer laziness. I've got this episode is, one if anybody guy, wants to make an offer. No, Chris. Oh, nice. I've, I've got issue I'll trade one. You, I'll trade you for episode <laughs> one in New Gods. They're, they're probably both as equally valuable. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is, why take the easy route and, and just rewrite Spider-Man as now he's black, he's, he's lesbian or he's gay and he's Hispanic and don't do it. Have someone write a, a superhero specifically for that for that uh, race. Okay, coming from a guy who's who remembers um, Peter Parker as the the guy who was bitten by the radioactive spider. How does Spider Man? Is it a suit now? Is that what it comes no, down you, to? No, no. You know what it is? What is it? Radioactive spiders aren't racist. <laughs> They'll bite anyone. They'll bite anybody. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. <laughs> well, then. But we'll see what happens in September. Be, uh, let it be whoever the spider bites. Yeah, yeah they, they're they reissuing. Haven't they haven't explained how he's going to no, get, right. get his powers. But yet, they are so issuing an, an issue number one reboot of Ultimate Spider Man with Miles Morales. Let's see how it how it turns out. Now, I, I'm kind of suspicious. I'm looking at the picture of Miles Morales and... Uh, how about you guys tell me how it turns out? I'm, I'm not wondering. I'm wondering. It's underwhelming. And I'm wondering if they've custom-made this character for a specific actor like they did when they changed Nick Fury to a black man. I know. Who looks suspiciously like Samuel L. Jackson. And I'm looking at this, these pictures of Spider-Man and I don't know. Maybe they have an actor in, uh, in mind. I have one in my mind. Sure. I think he looks exactly like Jaden Smith. You know what? Uh, maybe they're preparing for five or six years from now from coming out with a, a blockbuster with Jaden Smith in mind. Who knows? Let us know what you think, guys. Send us a, a voicemail, paulthebookguy.com slash voicemail. I know Greg's got some more uh, comic book news. This is my favorite comic book news of the week, and this is something that I think every uh, red-blooded male can get, a, get behind. We've got our first picture. Literally. Literally. We've got our first pictures of Anne Hathaway dressed in leather as, in her role as uh, Catwoman. And she looks hot. And hot. She's riding a gigantic motorcycle. Do you guys know that Anne Hathaway was uh, Shakespeare's wife's name? It's not really what I'm thinking of right now, but that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> is so, it as a, is, uh, I haven't seen the picture. Um, is, it, is it Halle Berry uh, Catwoman good? No, it's it, uh, some people are relating it to perhaps Trinity from Matrix, like she's full, I can, full I can, leather. I can get behind that. Yeah, or in front literally. Of that. So <laughs> what what's been leaked is the picture, and it's uh, we're earning our explicit now, aren't we? Are we Paul? are. <laughs> I'm certainly showing is this my the picture? colors. Yes, uh, it doesn't look as cheesy as the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman with all the uh, cat tails and, oh, and rare ears. Yeah, wow, that was good too, though. 
So the picture is labeled uh, Selena Kyle, this picture that was uh, released. So we're not certain if this is actually going to be her full Catwoman getup or if this is somewhere in between her her uh, metamorphosis. Let's not mislead our constant listeners, constant readers here. That picture is highly unrevealing. No. <laughs> Shot at a distance with a fuzzy lens. Yes, it leaves it all to the imagination. Yes, it's but weak. We're, no, we're all enjoying in our imaginations the notion of Anna No, there's Hathaway a huge is, picture of that. Is, there's a huge there's picture a huge of that picture on the that, website. Yeah. yeah, go to the go to com. click on the picture. It's massive. And uh, I'll take any picture of Anne Hathaway in leather. Mystery. We discussed Blood and Groom earlier in the show, and the second book in the series is Deadlight District. And the lady who is behind the Sasha Jackson mystery series is Jill Edmondson, and we have her live on the air right now. Hello, Jill. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. Good, Jill. Hi. Nice to see you. This is uh, Chris. Hi, Jill. This is Hi Greg. Hi there, Chris. How you doing? And I'm Paul. Good, good. It's, it's nice to be invited to speak with you guys. Thank it's you. It's a pleasure it. to speak with you, Jill. Uh, first off, congratulations. I hear you have some great news to share with our listeners. I do. Um, Sasha Jackson Mysteries has just been optioned for development as a TV series. Fantastic. And I'm now, over the moon. How does that work exactly when, when uh, your work is optioned for television? Well, the first thing is you have to know that it's going to be at a glacial pace, um, right. which is going to test every, every bit of patience I've got. Uh, the person who's optioned it, uh, that production company, are going to, or they've started doing um, an ad- adaptation, and then they'll get into screenplays. They'll take that and pitch it to broadcasters, and they'll, I guess, uh, I'm not sure how the funding works with Ontario Arts Council, but I'm sure that's part of it. They didn't and, send you anything uh, gold-plated? So, uh, nothing gold-plated yet. I've got tinfoil-plated stuff. Lots of tinfoil. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, I thought for sure. No, no, I, I think this is going to work very well as a TV series, and uh, I'm... I'm halfway through the second book in the series, uh, Dead Light District, and, and I noticed Toronto's a setting for, for the Sasha Jackson Mysteries, and, and you really showcase our city very well. Uh, Thank you. Will, will she remain in Toronto if, she, if this becomes a television series, or will she be taken away to New York like many other properties? Uh, do you have creative no. control over any of that at, that at this point? I have some, and um, it's definitely going to remain a Toronto show. Nice to hear um, that. And the Toronto series, it has to be. I think that's it good. There's been little... too much if it's relocated to I don't know New York or Chicago or something. It, it's a different book then and a different character. Yes. I think that's really good. There's been a lot of success with the Toronto series lately uh, with uh, Flashpoint and Rookie Blue. There's I think people are becoming familiar with our city. Yeah. yeah Jill, definitely. how involved are you in the script writing, um, coming from the as the author of the book? Um, at this point, it sort of loose. Mm-hmm. I've never ever in my life even tried to write a script or a screenplay, and I'll admit that I don't <laughs> right. know anything about it. I'm involved creatively as much as possible, and I like the people that I'm going to be working with. The person who optioned it and her production partner are they're, they're, they're easygoing. I'll enjoy working with them, and they know who Sasha is and what she's like and, and don't want to veer from that. So I should probably mention that this is definitely being uh, geared towards cable, it, it, and it has to be towards a cable channel. It, it's not, uh, well, we'd lose something and we'd lose Sasha if, for instance, the language was cleaned up and she didn't get to work at her little part-time job. 
You definitely would. Now, now, second novel in the series is called Dead Light District, and uh, we do have a short clip of that book. Now, originally, Jill, we asked Harlan Zink to read it, uh, and I was so close to getting to hear Harlan do a falsetto voice, but he, <laughs> <laughs> he flipped it over to his friend Deborah Armstrong uh, to yeah. read it uh, wisely. And uh, here's the clip. My plan of action, which had crystallized while I was off in Never Never Land, was to find out more about Dave No Last Name. It occurred to me that if he was on the up-and-up, then someone was using him to get to Mary Carmen. But who and why? I also figured that with this case, as well as in politics, international relations, history, and Freudian psychology, the past is the decoder to the present. I should send that startling revelation into deep thoughts by Jack Handy. Whatever. I needed a clearer picture for the present before I began digging backwards through time. Shane hadn't come home last night, so I had the house to myself. I went out front and checked out the artwork in my front yard. The word bitch was still faintly visible, so I sprayed another coat of red paint over it. Then I went into the den and logged into the internet. I searched mining plus conferences, and then minerals plus conventions, and a few other combinations of similar terms. Eventually, I found a website for the conference at which Dave said he had spoken. Yes, indeed. Dave J. Boring, LLB, of the Toronto law firm Gopnik, Gulrenik, Purdy, and Roth, had just given the opening address that Thursday night at a posh hotel in downtown Montreal. It was kind of amusing that Dave had been so secretive and private, yet he gave me enough details during our brief call to track him down in no time at all. Dumbass. I knew where he worked, and I had his full name. I filed away this new information until I could decide what to do with it. As I frittered away the morning, it dawned on me, as it had last night while I was waiting for the streetcar, that this case could and would suddenly run up a big expense tab, and I had concerns about that. The obvious concern was my desire to be reimbursed. However, the greater concern and this is woefully embarrassing to admit, is that my cash flow these days is anything but flowing. Try torpid, frozen, clogged, inert, moribund. In my last big case not that long ago, my office had been trashed, completely ransacked, and everything in it was affected by unsurpassed levels of gratuitous violence. So, I rented new office space near St. Lawrence Marketplace. Since the start of the summer, I'd slowly replaced, redecorated, and redone the workplace of Sasha Jackson, private investigator. Insurance had covered a lot of the damage and would cover the replacement for most of what had been ransacked. But, of course, things always cost more than expected. There was the insurance deductible plus moving cost the latter not covered since it was my choice to relocate. And there was the myriad little expenses that emerged long after I'd sent in my insurance claim. Naturally, the insurance company was taking its sweet t time settling my claim. I was flat broke these days. Of course, I shouldn't have recently spent three grand on a new set of drums and cymbals, but I needed a boost after having been shot in the boobs. 
Wow, Deborah sounds great. I really enjoyed hearing her reading, and that's actually a first for me because the only readings I've ever heard of it are in my own voice at the occasional event or maybe at the launch party, etc. She she nailed it. I like her tone and the the speed and the pace. She does a wonderful job. So thank you so much to Debbie Armstrong. Well, that's that's. I'm glad to hear that. And have you have you ever considered doing an audiobook version of the Sasha Jackson uh, mysteries? I have considered it, and it's just one more thing on a list of 500 things that I want to do and <laughs> should do with the book and with Sasha. And it's kind of funny because you get ideas to do something with the book, and you realize, well, if I spend my time doing that, then I'm not going to be spending my time doing something else. Right. Um, well, book three is done now. Oh, this was a big edited. question that we had. Was there a third <laughs> novel in the series? Well, actually, the third was, okay, this is really bad math. Um, book one was written, I don't know when, 2007, I think, and it took six months to write. Book two was written, um, it was finished, I, I finished writing it sometime in '09 before Blood and Groom was even released. And the second book, Deadlight, took um, five months to write. And so here we are with book three, and it's actually the one that I started first. I started writing it in 2005. Ah, Fascinating. Okay. Yeah, and it's done now. It took me forever to finish it because I got really stuck. And so I want to get started on, and I have started on book four, and book five is already in my head. So the, so, the, the character came to you as book three, and you had to write book one and two before you could get to the character that, that initially inspired you? Am I, am I getting that right? Well, sort of. I, I just couldn't figure out what to do with book three, and I liked the idea, and I liked the character, and so I just shelved it. And then when I finally decided, oh, okay, I figured out who done it and how they did it and why, and made all of those things work, and I realized, well, the other two books had almost written themselves, really, especially that Light District. It, it basically wrote itself. So then I had to go back and change things, such as, I don't know, just Toronto references that were true and accurate in 2005 when I began writing it are so like no longer true. Uh, that vacant lot is now a condo or that store <laughs> yeah. no longer exists. And, yeah. Now, now Jill, uh, having read, uh, I'm partway or halfway through Deadlight District, uh, I don't want to give away any of your, your secrets, but uh, did you have to do some uh, deep research into the, um, the prostitution <laughs> and, and all that or... or how do you, how, 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 did you, how do you come by that? your how do you come by your knowledge of the uh, of the uh, yeah the phone sex trade? Well, uh, the phone sex trade I mostly made that up. Um, I had seen an episode of all things. I mean, this is a hundred years ago. It was on Phil Donahue. So that's <laughs> right. Phil Donahue. Well done. I, I know. I know. There's a blast from the past. Wow. And on that particular episode, not that I watched it. It was just. I referenced, uh, I referenced Simon and Simon earlier in the episode, and I thought that was a, a way back, but uh, <laughs> Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue nice. with the, with the yeah, village people and everything. But it was everything. funny because he, he interviewed these housewives that did the phone sex job in, I don't know, Brilliant. back in the Stone Age. Housewives. And, you know, they're mixing cookie batter while they're talking smut. So I always remembered that, and I just thought, that's perfect. Here is Sasha as completely uninterested and... Uh, uh, un sort of immersed in it as these housewives were, you know, preparing their kids' lunches or something. That's a perfect image. 
<laughs> making a tuna sandwich while on the phone with a prevert. <laughs> exactly. And then um, as for the research in Dead Light District, because I, I just privately refer to that as the hooker book. I have <laughs> Blood and Groom I refer to as the first book. And yes. Dead Light I call the hooker book. And book three I just call the smut book or the fetish book. <laughs> but, oh, you just sold no. all three of us on, on the third book in the series. We're, we're, lining, up, we're lining up for copies. It's not my fault. There's so much, um, what do they say? You know, truth is stranger than fiction. Yes. Um, Deadlight was written, well, the research for that came out of a paper I did when I was doing my master's, and the paper was on human rights and the sex trade. And I was just gobsmacked by some of the stuff that I uncovered when I was digging into the paper and doing the research, and things that didn't make it into the essay became a book. It became good fiction. Yeah, and then the smut book, or the fetish book, book three, that's, coming out in uh, November, sometime around Halloween. And you guys have to come to the launch party, okay? Um, it was wow. about from when I used to bartend at the Pilot Tavern in sometime in the late 90s. And at, in those days, they had, well, they still have a second floor party room that they rent out. But back <laughs> then, they rented it to this uh, fetish bondage S&M group. And I just thought, like, oh, my God, like, that is just waiting to turn itself into a story like it's ripe for the picking so like i said that's the book i started with first i'd had the idea for years but didn't know what to do with it and well here we are a decade later it's actually going to come out but jill i've seen pictures of your book launch parties and uh, they seem like a real hoot uh you really go you really go all out and i noticed you even had a blood-drenched bride walking around in your first one it looks like uh, everyone (laughs) had a good time do you always go out like that the um, the blood drenched bride that was <laughs> that was my wedding dress and I'm no longer married. So it's like a really good thing to do with it. Fantastic. Yeah, it seemed too fitting to actually put it to good use. Must, uh, must the book cathartic. It's like a Viking picture. funeral, sending out a, <laughs> we, we a wedding dress like that. We definitely want to be invited to the uh, fetish based uh, third launch party. We're, we're, yeah, we're... I've got plans for that, and I'm not sure they're legal. I look awful in leather. I'm going to tell you right now. Well, um, we can we can do something about that. I don't know. How do you look in PVC? Maybe I should try some PVC. <laughs> oh. that, that might work. <laughs> I, have, I have some great ideas for this week's uh, podcast album art at this point. Yeah, really. <laughs> Jill, who, if you had your druthers and, and you're thinking of uh, Sasha Jackson in your head, who would you pick to play her in, in the TV series? Good question. Um, you know who she reminds me of or, or who I... Instantly, and I saw this long and long and ever ago before there was any option or anything like that. Cameron Diaz, and what I'm thinking of there is, do you remember that? I mean, of course, you know the the iconic photo of her with the uh, hair gel. Is yes. there something about Mary? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That that's just that's a Sasha thing. That sort of okay. captures a Sasha ethos. Yeah, it's uh, you know she ends up way. with this klutzy thing happening to her, but she's basically a pretty cool and pretty hot chick. She just manages to screw up here and there. Well, let's uh, let's get uh, Cameron a script. <laughs> the worst she <laughs> can say awesome. is no. Yeah. Now, now, Jill, we're we're going to talk about Deadlight District in an upcoming episode, and uh, we hope to uh, take a look at the third book in the series. Congratulations so much on on uh, getting the option for television. I think Chris has one more question for you. Uh, Jill, do you have anything else in the works uh, aside from the uh, Sasha Jackson series? Well, actually, I do. And this is sort of, I I don't think I quite answered your question earlier about um, if I was going to do an audio book. The challenge is when you 
spend your time doing one thing, you're not doing the other. And so I've been so busy with promoting and, and uh, doing no. whatever events I can for Dead Lights that I'm not sitting down and writing as much as I'd like to. I've got two nonfiction books that are probably about 30,000 words each. Um, so I'd say about half done. One is sort of a Canadiana, sort of a Canadiana book, hyphen history, hyphen humor. Toronto-based? And the other one is a biography of, I'm not going to say the name, but of a rock guitar legend. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> is it Eddie Van Halen? <laughs> and he really doesn't want me to do a biography. His, his uh, a reluctant telling me, don't wow. do it, don't do it. He's shy, he's private. I said, I don't really well, you, you keep going at it. I just him. want to look at his music and his impact. Well, Jill, maybe this is serendipity. We'll, we'll put you in touch with Harlan Zink and Deborah Armstrong, and maybe they can handle the, the audio book for you. We'll see if maybe oh, they can help you Oh, that would be cool. There you go. Paul the Book Guy Show, bringing love to everyone, audiobooks. <laughs> Chris, ah. look at me. Chris is not into audiobooks. I'm not He's a big fan of audiobooks. These two guys are trying to convince me, but I'm, I'm quite a fan of the voices in my head. I, I think Sasha that. would do very well on audible.com. But thank you so much for coming on, Jill, and, and we'd love to have you on again. Uh, well, thank you. I'd love to come back. Fantastic. And we'll, oh. then we will have you back on, uh, and we'll talk about uh, Deadlight District and maybe about the third book in the series. We'll talk about the TV series. That's right. That sounds fantastic. And okay, well, thanks so much. We, we kind of try to rush you to interview, because I know at some point you'd be buried behind uh, publicists and uh, security guards. Yeah, but you guys are Toronto guys. I've always got time for Toronto guys. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank excellent. you so excellent. much, Jill. We'll talk to you Cheers. again soon. All right, great, and I look forward to uh, continuing this further. Have a great day. Fantastic. Bye, Thank bye, you. Jill. All right, bye-bye. What a great interview. And you guys know what the music means. What a lovely woman. It's a shame that we have to uh, sign off now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that uh, TV series of Sasha Jackson. We gotta go. I'm Paul the Book Guy. I'm Greg the Book Guy. I am Chris the Book Guy. And we'll see you next week. Same book time, same book channel. On the top of Book Mountain.